from the bottom, now we're here, girl. Oh, yeah. This is my butt right here. Welcome to Shady Pines, a limited series from Afterthought Media where three gay men recap the Golden Girls Season 1. First, from the podcast Catching Up, please say hello to Mike Lawson. Hello, Mike Lawson. How are you? Hey, Joe Batanz. Good to good to talk to you. Nice to Happy talk to you. I will say, you know, just to, before we bring in Boo Hecker, I was getting a text message from you <coughs> where you were already exhausted <laughs> because we were doing a sound check and I was taking a shower and we did this. Tell us what, what happened, Mike? Well, Buhecker had some, like, he wanted to test sound, yeah. so I was like, he asked to jump on early, so we did, uh-huh. and there was just a moment where I suggested that perhaps it was my microphone and not his, <laughs> and he just, like, went off, like, I know it's my fucking mic. <laughs> like, he misread what I heard, read, what That's I wrote. That's not what happened. Wait, hold on, Buhecker, you have not been invited on yet. I will invite I don't you on care. in a second. I didn't swear once, and I'm not going to be smirched in the first 30 seconds. Oh, what I couldn't hear him at all. He texted, you know what? The text that he sent was, and maybe I misread it. I uh-huh. fully will accept that. Sure. Oh, good. But he sent the text <laughs> that said, uh, uh, um, Could be my mic. And my is all capitalized. Oh, There's you did. Letters, no, no. But... My. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I missed that afterwards. But yes, I'm sorry. It could be my mic. But originally I thought you said it's. it could be your mic. And I said, no, I hear myself. But I didn't swear. I didn't get crazy. Please. He flipped the table. Yeah. Right. <laughs> These prostitution horses. This uh, is why I don't podcast with you guys. You're doing it right now. You're starting a whole limited series with us. Anyway, then I'll show you how limited it is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and by the way, that voice you heard from the podcast Cocktails and Cream Puffs, he is a real person. Please say hello to Joey Boohecker. Hello, Joey Boohecker. Hello, hey. Afterthought Media. Well, yeah, it's, hello. How are you? It's very nice to be here. Thank you for, um, while we're in quarantine, allowing me to join you. Yeah, well, no. Thank you for be- thank you for being a friend. And well, to- that, 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 that may change. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But, but Boohecker, no, go ahead, Lawson. Before we jump in, I yeah. do want to point out that yeah. Golden Girls, like, I think one of the reasons why it's popular with gay men is because of the friendship they have where they're, like, salty to one another. Like, really mean to one another. Yeah. But you Which know, is under- very true in the first episode. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, really true. Under all of that, they are still friends. And I feel like it's kind of perfect to have Boo on for this because <laughs> I feel like the three of us are kind of mean to one another. <laughs> But I don't doubt forever that you guys, or I don't doubt ever that you guys are my friends. You know, like so. I think this is good. This well, you is know, a good mix. You know, Taylor the Latte Boy, uh, afterthought media personality, Taylor the Latte Boy was is very excited for this series. He's the and, one who took Donna's job, right? Yeah, he's the one who took Donna's yeah, job. Got it. And got it. Uh, Donna Sugars, by the way, she of the thirsty wigs. By the <laughs> way, no longer on Joey's show either. Wait, does she have a podcast now? I don't know what my mind. I'm not oh, the, I'm, you said the Thirsty Wigs. I thought she had a podcast. That is a good name for a podcast. If she hosted, it's a, a drink, great podcast. Oh, Thirsty Wig. I was hello, saying, darlings. Like <laughs> oh, 
thirsty witch. <laughs> anyway, uh, that is a good name for a podcast. But uh, I told Taylor about this, and he literally fist pumped. He was so excited. And one of the things he said, he said he loves the three of us together. And he said because when the three of us are together, it doesn't feel like bullying because every single one of us at some point gets it. Every single yes, it does. It does feel like bullying because Mike is a sweet, loving one. Like, let me tell you, before Mike's like, not a problem. This isn't a disaster. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. So let me tell you what Boo Hecker did when we were doing the sound check. <laughs> Mike I was is like very kind to you as I was writing notes. I was like, Mike is a said- snake. So wait a minute. So re- why is it? Mike I really did stay calm, by the way, because I expect it from you. Mike, it does it sweetly. Like Mike sends you cards in the mail. Miss you. Hope everything's okay. And then he turns on you the second you get out of the air. Now, Boo Hecker, why don't you explain to the audience? Because they're not. Most of them are not Pride Forty Eight people. Why you call me Scorpion? Oh, I call you this because it's. Is it one of Aesop's fables or something like that? I think so. There's a whole story of the frog and the scorpion. And there was some flood or something, and they, the scorpion needed to get across the island. Mm-hmm. And he said to the frog, let me climb up on your back. Mm-hmm. And the frog said to him, no, I won't because you'll sting me. And he goes, if I sting you, we both will drown. Uh-huh. So, you know, why would I do that? And he goes, okay. So the frog lets the scorpion get on its back, and the frog swims him across the water. And then mm-hmm. halfway through, the scorpion stings him. Mm-hmm. And as this frog is dying, the frog said, why did you do that? We're both going to drown. And he said, it's in my nature. Mm-hmm. And That's to, the story. Of my, Joe, and according you to you, it's in my nature to be, to do what? Sting you and break, pull you down with him. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. These people <laughs> listen to you. Are you okay? Do you have the COVID nineteen? I, I have COVID nineteen. <clears throat> I do. Don't let Betty hear that because Betty will start stapling plastic in your room, all yeah. of Dexter. Yeah. And yeah. just. Yeah. I only cans of Lysol in there. I only allow things that have the number nineteen attached to them. Um, <laughs> and they're not interested. <laughs> That's why I don't have it. Um, all right, uh, let's actually jump right into the episode. Lost? Am I missing anything here? Because Boo Hacker for some I, reason. Can I yeah, actually go ahead. say something before sure. we start? Can we? Can we just yeah. do a little for, uh, the four? I know you have a list, but just one thing I want to say is is. Do you all know how Golden Girls started? I guess that's where I'd kind of want to. No, okay, to we, if you, we can go there if you want. Go okay, ahead. so I don't. I've heard uh, rumors. Tell, like, correct me on this, because like, sure, I, I, and, I just know some stuff and, that and, maybe and, is true or not. And before I do that, Boo Hecker, I do want to introduce that um, we're going to stipulate, and Mike and I think Mike will agree with me that Boo Hecker is the resident Golden Girls facts expert. Yeah. I'm a I'm a fan, uh, a casual fan. I think Lawson would say he's the same thing. But I think Joe, you also kind of understand like how a sitcom is made a lot better than right. I do know right, one. You... I know one little show businessy story about the beginning of it, but that's about it. But go ahead, Boo Hecker. So Boo Hecker, uh, give us your knowledge. Share your knowledge. So with tell us. me, tell me when it's too much, okay? Mm-hmm. And just so everybody knows who doesn't know, I right now do a Golden Girls show, which was created by David Serta, and I play Rose, and it's called Golden Girls Lost Episodes. So even with that, I mean, I've always been a huge Golden Girls fan. I watched it first run, but um, this was also done a lot of research from it. So, Joe, do they still do NBC, CBS, which used to be the big three networks and ABC? Do they still do their fall lineup where they used to present them to the network? Or I'm sure they do it digitally now, but are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Yeah, it used to be like the fall. I I just talked about this recently. We did it for Afterthought in the spring. They used Mm -hmm. to do like this huge, it was actually really fun. They should do it again. These huge, like big primetime specials like in September where they would introduce the lineup of the 
show that's going to come. They would have like Henry Winkler would come on and tell you about a it wacky would, sitcom. It would be maybe. big stars yeah. from the network because yeah. back then most people stayed with their network. Yeah. And, and that so and this time when this happened it was doris roberts that everybody knows from everybody loves raymond's and selma and selma diamond yeah. and at the time what was really big was miami uh miami um vice vice and they came out as two older ladies and did a sketch called miami nice which was about two old ladies living in miami together Mm-hmm. Well, that was when Susan Harris saw it and, and, and they said, hey, there could be something here. And they started creating it into a sitcom. Now, Doris Roberts talks about how you know she wished she got the sitcom because she, it was her, the concept originally came from her. But at the time, they were looking for, because it was huge success with Maud, they were looking for a B. Arthur type. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first person they hired on the show was Betty White to pay Blanche. And what ended up happening is, is at the read through Betty White or not the read through, but at the audition, Betty White said, I've, I've done this role. I've played, you know, sh- she was Sue Ann Nevins in, in, um, in uh, Mary Tyler Moore. And she said, I've done this before. Who else are you looking at? And at the time she was doing mama's family with Rue McClanahan. And, and they said, well, we were looking at Rue for Rose and, you know, Betty White, who had a lot of star power at the time, said, well, let's swap that. And they did swap it. So the entire, so then they had it. So obviously, as we know it, Betty White is Rose and Blanche was Rue McClanahan. And Rue went in there with this deep, with this, you know, because she knew this Southern sultry actress. And she didn't play a role like that because it just wasn't what she'd done before. If you think about it, during the same time on Mama's Family and, and uh, Betty White is considerably older. Than Rue McClanahan, Betty White was playing Rue McClanahan's niece on Mama's Family, mm-hmm. and and you know she and Rue was playing Aunt Franny, the dowdy one. Um, and so again, that whole time they were looking for a B. Arthur type, which is what it actually said with the auditions, and they ended up um, bringing in uh, oh shit, um, Stretch. Thank you, Elaine Stretch, who was just not in the right frame of mind to do it and finally they uh, would have loved to see that can you imagine rue approached rue approached b arthur and said would you be interested in this and she said i am not interested in doing a show where it's maude and vivian meet sue ann nevins and she said no 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 i'm playing the vamp and b arthur said well that's interesting and that's how it and that's how that it was all backroom deal of how that ended up happening huh. of getting them all together Sophia came later. Sophia was actually a Broadway actress who came in later, but we can talk about that. She but that wasn't originally meant to be part of the the solid cast, right? No, she was just meant to be a guest, um, and she was huge on the pilot. But she was just meant to be a guest, that character that dropped in and out. And there was an interesting biography where Estelle Getty got with the makeup artist because because if you go in order of who's oldest to youngest, it was actually Betty White, B. Arthur, Estelle Getty than Rue McClanahan. And so she was, she was two years younger than, than B Arthur. And she went to the makeup department. She goes, I need you to do the best makeup job you've ever done. My entire life could count on this. Mm -hmm. And she got the gig. And if you look at the initial stuff, she also looks much older in the initial episodes. Well, but that's that's yeah. the four, that's the background. Yeah. Well, I was going to say the one little bit of show business stuff that I know is that um, yeah, Sophia was supposed to only be like a recurring character, mm-hmm. and Brandon Tartikoff, who was the head of NBC at the time, I think made this really wise decision where he said she needs to be a permanent 
member of the cast because the women need someone who's older so that they're the children. So, like, a lot right. of times the women are the adults, but sometimes they want to have episodes that opens up storylines where they're the children and there's someone older who treats them like children. And so it mm. changes the dynamic of how they behave. And I think that's... Now, in reality, they were in their 50s, early 60s. Yeah. When you think about, like, how our perspective as a society has changed of the elderly, because back in the 80s, that age was considered old. Mm-hmm. You know, it definitely was. Where now, you know, if we were to do a Golden Girls now, it would feel more comfortable when they're in their 70s and 80s. You know well, what I mean? Well, they brought that up about how, like, Sandra Bullock and Jennifer Aniston are, like, the same age as Rue McClanahan when she started on Golden right. Girls. And that just seems obscene now, right? Yeah. But we uh, do. I mean, Cougar Town was a show about a lady in her fifties, and it was like, oh my god, she's single and dating. So it still is kind of like, oh sure. But our perspective a... of age has so changed, is what I'm yeah. saying. You know, my I remember my grandfather passed away at sixty six, and at the time that seemed super old. My dad's seventy one now. I'm like, oh, that doesn't seem that old. Mm-hmm. I'm forty one, and it doesn't seem that old. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, I, th- yeah, I think one of our assignments, though, guys, should be oh, we need okay. to figure out what would be a modern Golden Girls. Like, if we were to cast right now celebrities in a Golden Girls cast, I think we need to think about what that would be. That's just a little homework. Well, assignment. it's so funny for um, my friend John Paul's really good at that. And what's funny is um, for a fundraiser, we were going to do a, a, a Golden Girls fundraiser with, uh, he wanted to do an all black cast, and he cast it really well. He cast um, as, um, and we were going to go for them, as uh, Rose, he wanted to do, oh, what the fuck is that woman's name? I can't remember her name. We'll come back to her. Rose was a good one, though. Um, And then for Dorothy, he wanted to do Jennifer Lewis. Oh, God, that'd be great. (laughs) Yeah. And then for uh, Blanche, he wanted to do Vanessa Williams. And then for Sophia, he wanted to do... um, Who's the woman from the Jeffersons? Marla Gibbs. Marla Gibbs is Sophia. Yeah. For this thing. I, I I can't remember who he had for Rose, but the per- person he had for Rose was perfect, too. Who is the girl from Dreamgirls? The girl. The woman from Dreamgirls. She was in the original Dreamgirls, and she has that really soft voice. That's who he wanted. That's who he yeah. wanted. She would be the perfect Rose. That's who he you know wanted. what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's who he wanted, but I can't remember her name. Absolutely. Oh, God, that's a good cast. Yeah. I would totally... Netflix. Bo- What's funny that. is... What's funny is my friend Chris was friends with Paul Witt, you know, uh-huh. and he wrote to because we, we needed permission. And uh, I still have the email somewhere. And Paul Witt wrote back to us and was like, listen, Disney is really fucking dicky about this. And I've tried to get something going where we do a, a, a benefit and they say no. Something has recently changed with that, though, because in the last if you notice in the last few years, there's been an explosion of not only Golden Girls merchandise. But an explosion of Golden Girl parody shows and puppet shows. Something has changed with the licensing. Well, the merchandise the Disney years. owns it, so they're behind it. But with the with the parody shows, yeah, I don't understand how in the parody shows they're getting away. Maybe because they're maybe because they are parody shows. Well, because for years there have been restrictions on that, huge restrictions. But in the last, I'd say three four years, they've exploded. So something's had to change. Yeah, I'm just gonna fucking do it now. Paul Witt's dead. Okay. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, all right, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, all right, here, let's jump right into the episode. The pilot episode opens with houseboy Coco making enchiladas. Dorothy enters the room in a huff because she had a horrible day at work as a substitute teacher. Rose soon enters, complaining about her horrible day at work as a grief counselor. Later, Blanche sachets into the room wearing fur to ask Dorothy if she can borrow it. She mentions she's going out with a man named Harry again and that he is such a catch. She leaves the room and Dorothy tells a story about looking herself in the mirror and seeing an old woman. Blanche comes in the room and drops, uh, drops a bomb shell on their last date harry proposed and he wants an answer that night even though they've only known each other for a week uh, blanche breezes out of the room again leaving dorothy and rose stunned boo hacker you're the golden girls expert tell us about this first act what were your thoughts what notes do you have what do you want to tell us so feel free to cut me off um and if i'm going in a direction you don't want to but what was very interesting is in this episode how smart the writing was on two different levels there was so much exposition that they got out in that 30 minutes that set us up for the next seven years. Mm -hmm. We got out so many. The only thing we didn't know, we actually got everybody's background story about their spouses and everything with it. I thought it was so smart. Um, The first thing that was jarring to me, which is so funny is that the bar that's usually in the, in the kitchen was a table in the middle of the kitchen. And that was the first thing that, that, grabbed me um it was different what interesting to me in that first scene is to see the difference in blanche's character if you notice she had much less of an accent mm-hmm. and yeah. she was a bit more vulnerable um and also it's interesting that she's talking about she's just lucky to find a guy who has his own teeth and hair and and is still interested in sex when you think of who she becomes and all the men that come in and out like you know She's she would they she was being portrayed so much older than what later we find out Blanche is. Let me pause um, you right there, Buhaka. I mean, we jump to yeah. Lawson and see what he thinks. Go, Lawson, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I actually was thinking, isn't it so interesting that on episode one, Blanche is talking about settling down when we know we have seven seasons of her being like the slut, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I I did think that was interesting, and then also her where was her accent? It was like they put the stove in a different place and her accent in a different place as well. Like that was different. There was also just some weird, I know like how to get to Blanche's room and that was not the same setup. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like the the house was set up differently in the pilot for some reason. Um, But not majorly differently. That was what's interesting is if you look at that whole set, that whole set in general maintained pretty much like that for the next Mm -hmm. eight, seven years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also like, what the fuck does B. Arthur have against enchiladas rancheros like <laughs> that joke just did not make sense to me she was like ah oh, fucking shoot me because he was making enchiladas yeah well well you know that's a good point mike joey what can you tell us about coco who by the way the actor recently died in a tragic way but sure. what, what can you tell oh, about really? coco right yeah. right before i go on coco the one thing i do want to say and want to get your your input on that joe is what i found was they pack so many it, it's very old school sitcom, which which very few examples existed there anymore. I think sometimes, like I think of Will and Grace, where you see the joke coming. Um, Will and Grace, you see the joke coming. They set it up. But what was brilliant about this is you're seeing three actresses at the top of their game, three brilliant comedians mm-hmm. who, if you notice, there was joke, 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 yeah. joke, joke, joke. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what great writing. I mean, even nowadays – we're much more, we're a bit more sophisticated, but I think people would still enjoy, I mean, they do still enjoy that, but like, it was still funny and it was still these great boom, 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 boom. Like it wasn't one star of the show. It was three people who were all three comedians holding their own. And I really thought it was quite brilliant. Um, Coco. So the interesting thing about Coco is 
he, which I think was very forward thinking that, what was it, 1983? Correct me if I'm wrong on that. I think 85? it's 85, yeah. They made it very clear that, oh yeah, 85, I'm sorry, 85 to 92. They made it very clear that this is a gay man. Um, I thought it was interesting that that you see that generation who was very comfortable with a gay man living with them, befriending this gay man. Um, and in even, him at the end of the first episode, even Sophia making gay jokes, um, which was very, very funny. You know, she calls him a petunia. That petunia's all right. Or let me go yeah. see, you know, Mr. Happy Pants. What was the reason for that character? I think they didn't know what to do with that character. And they were trying to find a male balance. And essentially the reason why they got rid of him was twofold is a, these girls are talking about, they don't have enough money to buy a house, but somehow they can afford a chef. Which is interesting. Now, probably he probably worked there, and in, in, in that's you know worked off his stuff. But um, that was one of the reasons. But the other reason, <laughs> and Estelle Getty spoke about this, is they only had room for one cook, and that was Sophia's purpose. Sophia was the cook. Sophia was the chef. So it would make no sense to have two people in the kitchen. And once they decided that Estelle Getty's character was a stronger character. Um, they thought they, that's why they got rid of him. There wasn't a way to to ease him in there because his purpose, he was the cook. Sophia's the old Sicilian who, you know, her as she says in a later episode, my best two rooms in the house were the kitchen and the bedroom. You know, and yeah. that's the importance of her. Yeah. You know, it could be one of the things that the original intent was, if especially if Sophia was going to be a recurring character, was that if you remember there was a character similar to that on airplane remember there was like a in the movie airplane there was a, at the f- control tower a gay guy who just flitted around yeah. and he would drop in and yeah. make these like really pithy gay comments and then walk out of the scene and i but, sort of get the sense that's what they wanted coco to be but i don't think coco was that gay though coco was very i don't think i don't think he was that level of gay as airplane i oh, guess okay. You we know? didn't see him very much, though. I feel we like didn't. they, and I don't. I'm. This is an assumption on my part. I feel like mm-hmm. there was a an original that maybe got edited a bit because there were parts where Coco just kind of felt out of place, and it was like yeah, they he never explained his character. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. Actually, when you say about edited, this is something I actually. Uh, B. Arthur spoke of this once of how Golden Girls was such an int- the reason why she jumped onto it is the scripts were smart and educated. Now keep in mind she just came from the world of uh Maud, you know, which was oh god, what's his name? Um the writer of Maud and All in the Family. Um Norman oh, Lear? Yeah. So she came from these very smart Norman Lear scripts, and she thought, here is another very smart educated script and that's what she was so excited about doing with it and the censors kind of let them have their way a lot so the original line when you see when harry comes in and sophia he leaves and sophia says the man is a scuzzball Mm -hmm. the original line was the man is a douchebag and the senator and the the censors actually took that out but that was her original they they were pushing the envelope in ways that at that time had not been pushed Mm mm-hmm that's it. Sorry, thought it was interesting. No, it, so it is Co- interesting. It is. This um, Coco dude, Charles Levin, though, you yeah. said he died. I looked him, I, 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 I MDB'd him, and yeah. he was, I mean, he's done a lot of TV. Oh, yeah. But do you know how, you said he died tragically. I Do you know more about that? That's yeah, I have it right here in front of me. So, on, so I also remember Charles Levin played Vera's husband on Alice. For those weird 80s oh. TV fans. And he, he did, like, there. some Law and Order, Murphy yeah. Brown, and then the um, the circumcision episode of Seinfeld. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, here we go. On July 8th, 2019, Charles Levin's son reported to the police that Levin was missing, and he had not been heard from since June 28th. At the time, Levin lived in Grants Pass, or- Grants Pass, Oregon, and was in the process of moving to a new house in the town. Levin's car was found on July 12th on a remote n- road north east of Selma, Oregon. His dog, Boo Bear, was deceased inside. Levin's, oh. bo- Levin's body was found a day later. He was 70 years old. On November 8th, 2019, authorities confirmed Levin's cause of death to be accidental. His car became stuck where it was later found on an unmaintained wilderness road. After trying to free it, it appeared he left the car in search of help and fell down a 30-foot embankment to his death. That's oh horrible. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's R.I.P. Coco. Yeah. Well, he wouldn't be living in Oregon if they picked him up after episode one. Yeah. It, <laughs> I wonder if, like, this is the kind of thing... I mean... He had no no control over it. I wonder if he like was bitter about it his entire life, or if he was like, "Well, I was on the." You know, I think he spoke of it before. He spoke about it before, and he understood. You know, and and the reality is, would the show have worked without Sophia? You know, I don't know. It would have been different. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Uh, all right. Um, any other thoughts on what happens in this scene, though? Because Boohecker, you the and one- I were talking privately with Lawson, and you—that's why I mentioned it here. You mentioned the speech about seeing the old woman in the mirror. How you? No, it was actually a different speech that I'm thinking of. That oh. I believe is episode two or three. I think. Um, but but again, I I'm amazed in that short amount of time how much exposition they got out there of all these characters. Like you could leave that first show and understand fully functionally what those characters are. Now, what they then played on more was is Blanche gets sluttier. Rose gets, she's dumb in this, but she gets a little more kookier. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wouldn't call her dumb. That was Mm -hmm. something Betty White always said is Rose isn't dumb. Mm -hmm. Rose takes everything that's said to her at face value. For example, when she said, this old woman was in the car and I didn't know her. Well, who was it? Okay, she just takes it as face value. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, the character's not dumb. Yeah. Um, the other, the, but the thing that they never went further with was Sophia's stroke. You know, which is why I think they were setting her up for the same lines like the man's a douchebag. Because well, in this, they, they talk about how it destroyed the part of her brain that censors herself. Yeah. Which, Sophia was just turned to a mean old lady later, not as much of a stroke victim. Well, at this point, we haven't met Sophia yet, so let's get into it. Oh, later. I'm sorry, I'm no, sorry. No, that's right. Later, Dorothy and Rose visit Blanche in her room as she gets ready for the date. They're curious as to her answer for Harry. Blanche wonders what her dead husband George would say, and Dorothy and Rose console Blanche. The doorbell rings, and Blanche assumes it's Harry. Dorothy and Rose leave the door to answer the door, but when they open it, Sophia enters the room. She announces that her nursing home burned down and she needs money for the cab. Dorothy leaves to take care of the cab fare when Blanche enters and Sophia insults her. We learn that Sophia had a stroke that affects her inner filter. Dorothy returns and soon after, Harry arrives to pick up Blanche. Sophia insults Harry to his face and after he leaves, Dorothy and Rose talk about their future plans and Rose sulks because now they're all alone. Later, Blanche returns home from her date and, after some hemming and hawing, announces to the other women that she has accepted Harry's proposal. Joey, what do you want to say here? Oh, I figured I've been talking too much. You talked to Mike. Um, uh, Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. You're right. Mike, what do you have to say about this? Well, so we see Blanche's bedroom for the first time. Yeah. And it's just filled with, like, (laughs) fucking jungle, which was weird. Um, I made sure to note that because I kind of liked it and kind of hated it. Um, But then also when we see Sophia for the first time, and this gets improved, I'm certain of it, and you guys probably uh, have comments about this too. 
her wig is really bad. Oh, really it's bad, like, yeah. Just really tight curls and mm-hmm. like she, she looks exponentially older. Yeah. Yeah, but like why it's, not keep the oldness, you know what I mean? But like it Well, it really looks bad. like someone who went through a makeup to try and look older. But let me tell you this. Do the math real quick. One of the things that I wrote down here is Dorothy mentioned that Stan is 65, okay? Mm-hmm. So let's say that Dorothy is Sophia's oldest, and let's say Dorothy Sophia had Dorothy at 20. Mm-hmm. That would Stan and Dorothy are the same age. That would put Sophia at 85 at that point. Just something to think about if we're just playing that game right there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because if Stan's 65 and they and Stan and her went to high school together, you know, we're I'm just trying to look for inconsistency as we go. And that, that bedroom, Mike, a... never changes with, with Rue's bedroom. That's oh, her really? bedroom. The whole Yeah, that's Blanche's bedroom the entire time. And the interesting thing is because everybody loved that bedroom, they had a special security on that set that that set had to be locked down so nobody would steal anything from that room. Oh, really? Yes, the, 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 the palm leaves. That's her bedroom the entire run of the show. But it's not in the same place, though. No, not the place, but the room when you walk into it with the big palm fronds and everything, yeah. it never changes. Uh, you know, Rue McClanahan also had a special thing in her contract that every article of clothing that, that Blanche wore, she got to keep. Every single mm-hmm. item of that clothing she got to keep, which you see later before she died. Um, she did a lot of auctioning of it when she was on um, the Del Shore show, Sorted Lives. Huh. Look at her with his... His Rue McClanahan facts. <laughs> so we learn in this scene that they're basically just like um, roommates that they met mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on a message board in a, in a supermarket. A supermarket. So they're like Craigslist roommates. Mm-hmm. They, um, I thought that was kind of interesting because you, I don't know, you just kind of think that people of that age have their own kind of like space, but. Well, there's a Here flashback episode where they, they talk about that they, they do a day that they met. Yeah, I yeah. remember that kind of briefly. There's like a dog involved. Well, I remember true? like a big dick joke. It's right? a cat. It's a cat. Oh. And they're at the grocery store. And, and that's when I think it's Mr. Peepers or Mr. Whiskers is Rose finds the cat and is trying to find a place to get find a home. Huh. Hmm. It's a flashback episode. Yeah. And uh, Boo Hecker just has the facts, Lawson. You know what? It's yeah. been it's been since I was since I was a, a kid. It's been my favorite show. Um, I'm actually surprised you're not more addicted to it, Joe, because I don't know if it was the gay element. I saw three. I thought saw these four strong female comedians, mm-hmm. comedians, mm-hmm. and I and I really just thought. I mean, really, they were the top of their game, and them together, it was and it was smart writing. I just to me. I guess that helps framed who I, you know, the career I went into is because I saw this, what I thought was really brilliant work and juicy work. Yeah. No, I liked the show growing up. I was very young when it first, on the first run. I mean, I must have been like nine. And me too. I mean, you're, a, what, are you a year older than me? I'm 44. Oh, I'm 41. So three years. Yeah, old. I was, I was young. Mm-hmm. And I remember liking it because um, my parents watched. Every, it was, this at the time was before DVR, so this was like appointment television. I think it aired on Saturday nights originally. There was a t- eight PM was Saturday nights, and then it switched to nine. Yeah, what's funny is that there was a time when people watched television on Saturday nights. That was like a big night for television. Oh, it was huge. Yeah. That was the, that was their biggest lineup. Yeah, and now it's now it's the the, the death place for for television. I mean, NBC. This show saved NBC up to that time when this came out. CBS was the big network. Mm-hmm. 
CBS had Dallas, Falcon Crest, uh, 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 Cagney and Lacey. Like CBS was the network to beat. Mm-hmm. And um, now it's Big Brother. Yeah. And uh, but uh, yeah, so I so but I'm a, I've, I've never been a diva queen. So I'm a casual fan of. Show. I mean, I know the show. I love the show. I I've still I watch the show casually. You know. Um, speaking of 19 year olds inside of me, uh, my ex Aiden. I think when we, he started watching it, and then he just voraciously consumed. I mean, because I was talking to another young person yesterday, and Shocking. he had never seen it. And, what did you say? <laughs> what did you say, Lawson? Shocking. No, it was Carlo from Germany, and oh. he had never seen Golden Girls. And I said, oh, he goes, what? He, I, he never said it directly, but I could tell there was a worry that maybe it was not, it was too dated. I go, no, 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 no. It actually holds up. It holds it up. It actually holds Young up Young gays really love it, well. too. Yeah. Aiden loved it. The Young gays love it. Uh, and uh, what's, when Aiden was here visiting, uh, we went to the Golden Girls, the original. So do you know about the Golden Girls house, Boo Hecker, before I go into it? You might tell us facts about it. It's just a facade, but yeah. Well, the one in – so what happened was there is isn't there is actually the real Golden Girls house. And it it's in Brentwood in Los Angeles, yeah. right by UCLA. And then after the yeah. first season, because they wanted to do a bunch of different angles or doing things to the house, they built a facade in Florida. Yes. At the, at the Universal Park in Florida or something like that or Disney. I don't know where. Oh, Disney. And um and then it burned down. Uh it's burned down since. But um but the the original house still stands. And so we went and took pictures there and whatnot. The one thing that doesn't hold up is in high depth is when you see like the florals on the walls or like the vines on the walls when you're out in the Lanai and stuff. You'll see this in later episodes, but because of the high depth, you can tell like these are like craft store <laughs> you know, craft store vines yeah. are not real plants. <laughs> Well, it also I never think of that really being like the water behind them. I just think, oh, look at them in front of a backdrop. Oh, I never even thought of that water behind them. I didn't, yeah, I didn't they're on like they a bay beach. or something like I that. I never thought of them as beachfront. No, that's yeah. Lanai behind them. That's Lanai. No, the Lanai is the name of the patio. Yeah, I know. What are you talking about behind them? Be- so that when glass they're on door the Lanai, behind them? No, no, no. When you look beyond them, there's like they're on some sort of like harbor, right? Am I wrong, Lawson? No, I've never I seen a harbor. Pull, I have to pull it up now. I've I'll never seen it. Harbor. Okay, hold on. All right. Well, you guys. Okay, so let me let me read this, and while you guys are talking, I'll pull it up. Um, all right. Any other thoughts about the about the actual show? Any guys thought about the plot or anything about? Blanche we we got our first movie? guest star. Our first major guest star was Misach Taylor, who was probably nobody at the time. It was before Mannequin, uh-huh. but we got our first guest star, and I'm going to keep track of them. Okay. Yeah, yeah we're good. not there yet, but. Oh, and sorry. Here's a good. Qu- we are not there. Um, here's another good question for you, Boo Hecker. Is yes. and maybe there's a better question at the end. And I would love, I want to keep track of this about what moments from this episode make it into the opening intro song. Oh. Most of them. Yeah, there's a lot. Mo- most of them. I think actually every single one of them. No, no, is- no, no. Because the, the Blanche walking sultrily down the hallway is from like episode 14 or 15 or something. Right, but that's not in this opening, the, the original opening, is it? I thought in this original opening, I don't remember seeing that. I think, well, look, maybe in the original run of the show, they did, but I feel like they've just tacked on the, the, the standard opening. Three-fourths of this stuff that I can say just off of memory from this, orig- from this first episode was mm-hmm. from this episode. Well, you know what? We'll, we'll uh, we can't. I wonder if we can do it here, but we'll, maybe we'll go through and look. Okay. Um. All right. Well, let's move. But nothing. Anything else about the plot? Because right now we've talked a lot about the show. We've been talking about the plot. Um. Any big jokes you remember from this? Or are you talking the about- only plot thing that I think is interesting is it made Blanche seem like a bit more of a feeble old woman. 
mm-hmm. and she's not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's what's interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, they're, well, they're setting up all their husbands and what happened to them. So we learn Rose is a widow. We learn Blanche is a widow. We learn Dorothy's divorced. Right. Um, we learn all that. You know, you're right, Joey. When you hear watch, especially old sitcoms, the pilot episode is usually very clunky because they'll be like, oh, look. There's uh, that rapscallion bicycle rider, uh, Fonzie, you know? And this one's so clean. Yeah, I mean, it's such smooth. a clean, well-done oh, pilot. Okay, so Michael6185 in the chat room has posted the relevant shot. George, uh, Boohecker, you're not on Discord. We'll get you on after. I'm not. Um, but, uh, but Lawson's looking. You see, he says, look, there's beach. Yeah, they have like this weird beachfront property in the Lanai. Really? I've never seen the beach. Yeah. Um, what, 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 what are you looking at, though? I'm texting are you. Texting it? Thank you. Yeah, Buhak, Lawson's texting it to you. Yeah, I always. I'm, it, well, you probably never paid attention to it because it just seems so much like a backdrop. Um, but yeah, they're, they have like, they're by the water. So that is, that's actually interesting because that's not consistent. Like it changes? Yeah, that's not consistent. Because eventually the one eye gets completely walled in. That's definitely not consistent, but I'm going to look for that now. I, I love how whoever wrote this wrote C, beach. Um, thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look at that because I've never to this day noticed that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there you go. Even the expert learns something every day. Uh, let's move on. All right. The next day, this is this is a long one, wrapping up the show here. The next day, Blanche announces that she and Harry are getting married at the house next week. Blanche tells Dorothy and Rose they can stay until they find a new place to live. Dorothy talks about her shotgun wedding to her ex-husband, Stan, and Sophia enters the room to have a conversation about peeing in the middle of the night. It is the big day of the wedding, and Rose walks into Blanche's bedroom to find Dorothy admiring herself in the mirror as Blanche gets ready for her wedding in the restroom. Rose shares with Dorothy that she has a bad feeling about Harry, and she wants to share that feeling with Blanche. Dorothy forbids her from doing so, and when Blanche walks into the room, Dorothy comically prevents Rose from talking to Blanche, which ultimately culminates with Dorothy throwing Rose into the closet before she and Blanche leave the room. You know what? Let me actually stop there, because that's too much to read. And this this is also a big scene, a lot of comedy moments. Uh, Why don't we stop there for a bit, and we'll go back. Uh, Any big thoughts there on the plot, on what moments that struck you there, Joey um, Lawson? We'll go with Bo Hacker first. I think what's interesting is how much more physical Dorothy is through mm-hmm. this um, yeah. with with Rose. Now, mm-hmm. I also noticed something, and this may be me projecting, but she's also even in the cuddly moments touching Rose more. Yeah. I wonder if that's the character, and I want to follow that through the first season, yeah. or if that just changes after B and Ro- B and Betty stop getting along. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and that's interesting to me is, is if the, it's, if it changes as like season two when the actresses weren't getting along as well, she just makes <clears throat> different choices. Right. Later. I'm curious, huh? Um, right. That'll be fun to track. I did. I really appreciate physical, like a, like a, like a linebacker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I appreciated the Sophia joke, um, about her peeing the bed. Yeah. Cause I, but it's also just a weird joke. Cause like. Is she like saying she wears diapers to bed, or is it just like a throwaway joke that we're not supposed to think about very much? But- no, I think that was a common joke back in the day, and I think I think that is a normal, uh, not a common joke, but I mean, I've heard that before. You know, I've heard people. I get up every morning. I go to the bathroom every morning at eight a.m., but I don't get up till nine. I mean, that's it's very. I think it's very Borschtbelt. I think one of the uh, disadvantages we have now is the internet. So, like, you know, you want any joke on anything, you don't, you know. It, 
comedians will tell you that once they do a special, their jokes are gone or, you know, before you could do the same set uh, for, for 20 years, you know what I mean? Right, Joe, would you agree with that? I wasn't listening. Sorry. What, what I'm saying is back in the day, comedians could do the same set or the same jokes for years. Well, they can still and, do you know, it. It was before but the, the internet. Different. And now the minute you do a special, you got to start all new material. Yeah. Some people do. Some people don't. Some people just like, fuck it. I'm just going to still do that same material. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Once it's on television, once it's out there, uh, it's it's a thing. Um, I also found yeah. that Rose, I, Boo Hucker mentioned this a bit, but Rose isn't stupid, right? Like she has these feelings about this hairy guy. Mm-hmm. Like she knows something's up. So. Yeah. They wrote some some wisdom into Rose's character right away, which yeah. I appreciate. Yeah, she's she's naive. Uh, now, sure. now, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, the Dorothy says a, a joke with an obvious dumb question, and she says, "Shut up, Rose!" And obviously, this is the first "Shut up, Rose," but this is a running joke in the show, right? The "Shut up, Rose," right? To prevent like a preemptive "Shut up, Rose." Um, are, are there any other like running jokes that get established in this episode? Well, the feeling you definitely get, though, is also it makes me wonder how long have they been living together? Because these are people who know each other who are bonded already, mm-hmm. you know, so it's interesting. I would I'd be curious how long have they, you know, which we don't know at this point, but you know that this is an established family, you know, um, they know each other. They're comfortable with each other. They're not just roommates. I mean, you know, it's not like Mike's roommates. You don't have those that type of relationship with your roommates. You know what I mean? It's not as established. Right. Yeah. No, I, but, I, but oh, go ahead, Lawson. Go ahead. One of the running jokes that I was going to mention, and I don't know if running joke is the right way to describe it, but there was the moment where B. Arthur said something about how she got in her car and looked in the mirror, and there was an old lady looking back at her. Yeah. And then Rose said, "Who was it?" And <laughs> B. Arthur kind of like blinks three times, looking yes. kind of straightforward before she turns, and that's kind of like a reoccurring um, joke that happens. That I, I appreciate. Yeah, but don't it, you feel like in the that's later Arthur as an actress, that's her her all she has to do is shift or just yeah. that's her that's her bag of tricks. Well, yeah, she she was really good at the at the slow burn take. But you know, um, what's funny is what I was going to say though, Lawson is I think I feel like in later seasons, once they developed Dorothy more, there would have been the uh, pithy like there would have been the pause and there would have been like, uh, no, Rose, Gary Hart, you know, or something right. like that. Um, right. Uh, which we don't get. Uh, any other big uh, uh, moments that we want before we go on to the last act? I think it was difficult for B. Arthur at that time to try and craft a character that wasn't Maud. And I think mm-hmm. that's also what we watch these characters making, these, these actresses making these discoveries to create a new character. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be part of it too. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, any no, other no. running jokes? Nothing that I can think of at the moment. Mm-hmm. No. All right, very good. Uh, all right, let's move on here. Uh, in the li- in the living room, as everyone gets ready for the wedding, the doorbell rings, and it's a policeman who uh, Joey just told us was Meshach Taylor, who tells Blanche that Harry has been arrested as a six-time bigamist, but he did send a note to Blanche. After the policeman leaves, Dorothy reads a note to a devastated Blanche. Later on the lanai, Rose is reading while Sophia sleeps. As Dorothy enters, she holds a mirror under Sophia's nose to make sure she's still alive. Dorothy and Rose have a conversation about the depression Blanche has been experiencing, and they worry about what is going to happen to their friend. Right then, a cheerful Blanche walks on the, onto the lanai. She talks about how she woke up feeling better that morning, and she realized... Is because she had such good friends in Dorothy and Rose. Rose offers to treat her friends to lunch, and they all make a pact to never separate, even if they get married. Sophia declines the invitation to join because she's going to the dog track with Coco, the gay houseboy. And that's the episode. Any thoughts on that last act, act with the the wedding that never happens and all that? 
I mean, this is, it's weird. Isn't it weird? I'm phrasing it as a question. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't it weird that they're getting married like in a week? Yeah, 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 yeah. But, and no explanation well, weird, of why? But that was weird to the characters too, though. That was, was weird it? to the, yeah, it was because when she said, we want to get married next week, they're like, you've only known him a month. Why are you doing that so quickly? And her response was, at our age, who can afford to wait? Which is funny because Blanche would never say that later because yeah. Blanche would say, at your age, who can afford to wait? Is what sure. she would have said, mm-hmm. you know? So again, it was establishing Blanche a bit differently as a little more aged than what she was. Yeah. And her motivation is different than what it becomes because like episode 10, I feel like she, you know, as many dicks as she can get is her well, kind of. I also want to keep track of how many times they've been engaged, proposed to or okay. or weddings, because I know I can think of six off the top of my head. <laughs> Okay, so this is Blanche's first pr- uh, proposal slash wedding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, but I think so. I think I feel like she gets proposed to a lot, and at the and at, at, in future episodes, it's like, why would she ever say yes? Like she was like, no, you know. Well, so does Dorothy and Rose. They all get proposed to several times. Story of our lives. Right? And Sophia. And Sophia. Sophia gets married twice. Oh, so, that's right. Or once she gets married once. Once besides sale. Um. So. All right. Uh, okay. Any other big thoughts on the plot of the episode? Uh, no. Do we actually mention Shady Pines? Did well, they, Shady Pines is the name of the nursing home. Yeah, it's the it's the name of the nursing home that burned down. But they don't, I don't think they say it in this episode. But I don't think they say the name Shady no. Pines. Yet. I think they just say oh, the yeah. home burned down and whatnot. Right, um, right. Okay, Lawson. Any final thoughts on this episode before we we call it a day here? Well, sort of. Um, and I mentioned it at the top. I'm going to yeah. mention it again at the end. This is kind of like not a non-traditional friendship, but it's like and it's not kind of the traditional friendship you would see on a sitcom. It's not the traditional living situation. At the end of the day, you know that they're really solid friends. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's sort of how I – I mean, I talk to the two of you over a microphone and Google Hangout way more than I would ever see you face-to-face. And I feel like we have a non-traditional friendship and, you know, thank you for being a friend as well. Both of you. Um, I think that this is a nice way of kind of expressing our friendship by doing this recap. You know, it's uh, you you mentioned something I want to bring up earlier. I feel that the friendship does develop more as the series progresses because um, Blanche, when she says that they have to move out, is kind of cavalier about it. Where I feel like when the series progresses, I feel this them having moved up comes up before and they're more devastated about it. Where I feel like, well, I get hit the move, you know? We're not just roommates, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boo Hecker, any big final thoughts on this episode? No, I actually think like, you know, I I do applaud this show because I think as standalone, it's still for a pilot, especially for a pilot. I really think it's great writing. Mm -hmm. And and I think the comedy is going to slow down instead of all these one offs, you know, boom, 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 boom. I think they just wanted to throw everything they could into the pilot and see where it got them. I still think it's a great I think it really is a well done, well constructed um, start. And I see why it continued. I, you know, uh, I feel that, you know, I actually think that this is for a pilot episode, because a lot of times shows can change so fundamentally after a pilot episode. Drastically. Yeah, but I really do think that for the most part, this pilot really does set up the skeleton for the show that that holds throughout the entire seventh season, apart from Blanche's room moving to the other side of the house. Um, 
everything else for the most and coco disappearing like it's like coco goes let me go outside with the cob and then he never comes back inside um mm-hmm. and uh besides coco leaving for the most part the dynamic stays the same the characters develop and they yes. be, like in other words we don't hear and we'll get into this we don't hear about um uh saint olaf for a long time it might not even be till season two um and uh we don't hear a lot, a lot of the thing the quirks we we uh appreciate about the characters don't happen forever but we get to see those those quirks build throughout the season but yes, like right now yes. we've gotten a really nice introduction to the way the show is and so i think if it's it a, stayed like this i'd still be satisfied i guess is what i'm saying yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, don't yeah. always feel that about a pilot yeah, <laughs> yeah which is funny maybe because they are so experienced and they've all in some degree i think rue and oh, they had all worked together in but never together <laughs> Right. They all never worked together, but they worked together. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Rue work, worked with both of them. Yeah. Rue yeah. worked with both of them. And the interesting, one of the interesting things is that comes up, up later when, when there's those, cause people always ask about the feud, feud between Betty White and B. Arthur. When they started the show, they were all three of them the best of friends, super tight knit, did everything together. Um, B. Arthur's talking son. about us. This is going to be our no, story. No, B. Arthur's son even talks about this. Is he's he's said before that my mom sometimes would get into fights with, with people, and that's just who she was. If anybody on the set had gum, she'd fire them on the spot. Mm-hmm. And the difference of how they approached stuff as an actress was B. Arthur never interacted with the audience. And boy, is there a laugh track on this? But yeah. B. Arthur never interacted with the audience. If they said cut. She'd hold she she's a, a new school trained actress from Broadway from stage and she'd hold and then continue on with the scene where she would say that, you know, where somebody like Betty White would, you know, if they screwed up a line or something would take do a take to the audience or like she'd lift her skirt or do something. Betty White is much more of a playful person. So the thing that actually put the biggest riff between them, which Betty White spoke of and her and B. Arthur's son is when Betty was the first one to win the Emmy Mm. because B. Arthur saw herself as a seriously trained actress and saw Betty White as a host of game shows because keep in mind Betty White, who's had a long career for a portion of that right before this, you know, between Mary Tyler Moore and mama's family was the game show queen. So B Arthur saw herself as this sophisticated actress and, and Betty wasn't. And that was one of the things that upset her when Betty won the Emmy before she did. And that's when things started to break apart. All right. Very good. Uh, all right. Well, let's call it a day there. Uh, and uh, we'll be back next time with episode two of the Golden Girls. I don't remember, like, even though I've done, this, I've seen this episode when it, I don't see it when it first ran, but I saw this episode fairly recently. I still like, I forget them very quickly. I, I don't have a memory for television shows. You don't so, have a memory for shit, though. I don't even know who you are. And so, go ahead, Lawson. How I feel oh, about notice, all of them. No yeah. cheesecake. No we have not had cheesecake yet. Yeah, we'll 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 keep track of all those little things that happen as they come along. But uh, you're right. So a lot of things we get to know. But right now we've met the girls. We've met Joey Boo Hecker. He is a real person, uh, and uh, he's the he's the show Coco. Girls, let's never break up. <laughs> Wait, um, the show Coco. I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with Coco to the dog track. All right, guys. Uh, Boo Hecker wants to do his big sign off. What? You said you had a big closing line.
I didn't. Oh, what was it? Shady Pines, Ma. Is that what we were doing? No. Cool. I didn't have a big closing Boo-Hacker, line. What was it? Boo-Hacker, Boo-Hacker, Boo-Hacker was Boo-Hacker was like, I got the best line. We'll just end by saying, thank you for being a friend. Oh, I was joking. And Mike already said that. <laughs> thank you guys for being a friend. Yeah. Shady Pines, Joe. Shady Pines. 